0: Good evening, everybody. We're glad you came back. We're going to be entering into the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel tonight. And before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and blessings to us. We thank you for the beautiful sunny weather we've had, too. And as we open your word, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord will be with us and that indeed we may learn the message that you have for us. Fill us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we left off last time in chapter 3, we find that Nebuchadnezzar knew about the image of Daniel 2, obviously, because he had the dream. But he didn't accept the message that Babylon was going to fall. He wanted it to last forever, a thousand years or more. And thus, he made an image, all of gold, in defiance of that dream. The king actually was attacking the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments, he was attacking God as the supreme ruler. And secondly, he was breaking the second commandment by making an image for them to bow down and worship. And Daniel and his three friends needed to develop a faith of their own. They couldn't stand on Daniel's faith. There comes a time when we have to stand on our own two feet and not lean upon others. In the last days, we find that God will have a people who will experience similar persecutions as what these three men went through. God did not deliver the believers from the fiery furnace but rather he went with them through it and he brought them out safely. Thus, an illustration that refutes the secret rapture. He doesn't snatch us out. He lets us go through and delivers us. And today, as back then, we need a personal faith that's worth dying for, but even more so, a personal faith worth living for. And so, In summary of chapter 3, it leads us on into chapter 4. Now chapter 4 is very unique. Chapter 4 is the only place in the book of Daniel that is not written by Daniel. As a matter of fact, this chapter is one of the few places in the Bible that you find uh, written by a heathen king. Here, you find Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that's like having the Pope write um, a chapter in the Seventh-day Adventist uh, um, beliefs book. You know? You can just imagine the contrast here. And here, Nebuchadnezzar is writing his own personal testimony. Something's going on here. Something has changed. And Nebuchadnezzar, right from the beginning of this chapter, you see something unique. First off, he says in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell upon all the earth. And then what does he say? Peace be multiplied unto you. Is this the same guy? I mean, this is the guy that says, I declare, and if they didn't go along with it, off with their heads. And we'll, we'll make their houses an ash heap. And here he's saying, peace? Now it's interesting. Peace be multiplied unto you was a common expression used by the Apostle Paul. We find in Galatians 1.3, in Ephesians 1.2, in Philippians 1.2, and in Colossians 1.2, we find that Paul very commonly begins with, peace be unto you and here Nebuchadnezzar with his fiery temper just one one chapter before was going to cook everybody who disagreed with him and then he ends with i make a decree that you all honor the god of shadrach meshach and abednego if you don't here he's saying peace be unto you something's happening here you know what this reminds me of it reminds me of james and john James and John were called the sons of thunder. Boanerges. What does it mean? It means that, boy, if you weren't with them, God, they were going to have God bring fire down from heaven and cook you all. But later on, we find that John, of course, James gets killed early, but John comes across as The beloved disciple, the disciple of love. He went from being the one that wanted to cook everybody to the disciple of love. And so you can see when the Lord gets a hold of a person's heart, he performs many changes. Look at verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. So this is his own personal testimony. He's saying, this is what God has done in my life. Now, you've got to realize that this man's pride was very deep and big. And for him to admit some of these things before the whole kingdom was quite an accomplishment. Look at verse 3. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. That's exactly what he wanted for himself when he set up the image, wasn't it? He wanted his kingdom to last forever. He wanted his dominion. Dominion means government or rule. He He wanted his kingdom to rule the world forever and ever. But now he says it's the God of heaven who does that. And so we look at Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Now, Daniel is not the one writing this. This isn't about Daniel, but yet Daniel is all through it. Let's look at four four, and it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourished in my palace. So here the king is having another dream. And he's thinking about this. How long after... The uh, experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This was there's there's still debate on that. Might have been just a couple of years, maybe three at the most. But nonetheless, he said, "I saw a dream which made me afraid." Now, by now, he's had enough dreams that he knows that they they have significance. And of course, the Babylonians, as we mentioned before, they do have a tendency, or had a tendency to believe that the dreams, when given to the king, had great significance. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts upon my bed and in the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, made I a decree. Here he goes, making another decree. He likes to make decrees. Therefore, I made a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. So I can see the, the wise men getting up with their jammies and everything on and their, their night shirts on. Oh, not again. Haven't we been here before? Because the king says, I want you now. And so they quickly get dressed and they come in before the king. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them. But they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. Now, the difference between this and Daniel 2 is Nebuchadnezzar, in this case, he remembered the dream, but he didn't know the interpretation. The other chapter, he didn't know either one. You see. And here he goes again calling on the same wise men. Now these wise men, I don't know how wise they were. Maybe they were Curly, Mo, and what was the other one's name? Huh? Yeah. So I, I don't know if these were the same guys or not, but he calls upon these wise men. The first it mentions was the magicians. I told you about them, right, last time? They're the ones that dropped oil on the water and watched the oil slick spread out and try to tell the future. The astrologers tried to interpret the future by the stars. The Chaldeans by the ancient writings and prophecies. The soothsayers, they're the ones that sliced animals open and looked inside and tried to predict the future from that. They all came in as they were commanded to do. But... They didn't have anything that they could tell him. And notice, when everything else fails, lastly, he calls Daniel. Verse 8, But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. Now, why did he call on Daniel last? There might be a couple of reasons. Number one, he didn't think about it before. He, He was too wrapped up in his own dream. But it's very possible that if Daniel had come in first, it wouldn't have been to the embarrassment of the wise men. They would have said, oh, well, yeah, that's what we believe too. That's what we could have told you. But this way, the wise men came in and made fools of themselves. And then Daniel comes in and clean up the mess, you see. And so we find that he, again, notice he's not converted yet. He's not converted yet. And he's still making decrees, and he's calling Daniel Belteshazzar. Now, Belteshazzar was the Babylonian name that praised his God instead of the God of heaven. And then it says right there, he even tells you, it's according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Notice with an S on here. He says, he knew that the gods speak to Daniel. And before him, I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Now, it says here, tell me the visions, it appears here that uh, it sounds like he didn't remember the vision. But he knew that Daniel could do both. And this is what Daniel interprets in Daniel 10. He says, thus were the visions of mine head. Now he explains it to Daniel. "This, This is what I saw in my head on my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. And the height thereof was great, this great big tall tree. Now, trees are often used in the Bible. As a matter of fact, a tree in the scriptures, and you find this quite a bit in the Psalms, a tree represents a righteous man, you see. And uh, especially a tree planted by the waters of life, you see. And so this idea of a tree being a human being is not uncommon in Scripture. And notice what he says here. He said that I saw and beheld a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. It was a large tree. Verse 11, the tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof, to the uh, ends of all the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar, of course, being the king, he represents his empire too. Now notice it says they reached unto heaven. There were many things that the Babylonians claimed that were powers that belonged only to the God of heaven. And we find in the last days, we find that Babylon, the latter-day Babylonian kingdom, it reached unto heaven. In plain words, it's it's really blasphemous against heaven, some of the claims that they made. Nebuchadnezzar was a priest, a high priest. He was also a king. He was the head of the religion as well as the government. And he reached all over the known, uh, the known earth at that time, his kingdom. So he had no trouble understanding that this vision was referring to him or at least Daniel did. Look at verse 12. The leaves of they were of thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it. The fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. it the Babylonian Empire was probably. About the best organized and the wealthiest empire of history. And gold was everywhere. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler. In plain words, he had everything going for him. Verse 13 I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. You know, folks, we're being watched. We're being watched all the time. Even when you're alone, when you're all by yourself, you're being watched. You know, personality is what you are when other people are around. Character is what you are when you're all by yourself. The things you do in secret, that's what makes up your character. You see, and we may say, oh, I'm all alone. Nobody will know. Nobody can see me. But you're being watched. Don't forget, you have angels about you. And don't forget that God himself knows what's going on down here too. And so he said that uh, a watcher and a an holy one came down from heaven. Verse 14, he cried aloud and said, Thus, hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from it, under it and the fowls, fowls from his branches. And so Nebuchadnezzar knew that this was some sort of a curse that was going to come upon him, but he didn't know exactly what. Now notice in Isaiah 6:13 in the New King James, it says this regarding the stump. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a tabernacle tree, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. You see, Israel was, I mean, Judah was cut down by the Babylonians as a kingdom. But yet there would be a remnant who would be its stump who would come back. That stump that came back would bring life once again. To the people of God, my dad had a a tree service business, and so cutting down trees and so forth uh, was very common when I was growing up. And he uh, only a few times he had people say, "Look, I want to keep the stump," and he said, "Okay," he said. But, um, you know, I can dispose of the stump. I can kill the stump. But they said, no, I want to keep it together. Well, if you leave a stump alone long enough, it starts, the bark falls off and then starts rotting uh, from the outside. And it it doesn't hold together. But if you put a band around it, it holds it together. (coughs) Excuse me. And... We had an apple tree that we cut down in our backyard because it had tipped over in a windstorm. And um, we cut it all up, and we cut the stump. And I cut it as close to the ground as I, I could. And I wanted that stump to die because I was going to put a little garden over the top of it. But you know what? That old stump had its own mind all of a sudden, popping up all around that stump, and the stump itself were little shoots coming up. And I had to go around cutting off all these shoots before I could kill that stump. I had to put copper sulfate and, um, you know, stump killer to kill the stump. So you see, a stump will try to rejuvenate. It will try to bring life back again. And If you can just keep it together, it will sprout up again. And so it is with the scriptures. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was about to be cut down. He was about to lose his empire, but it wasn't forever. Notice, by the way, a lot of people don't realize, but the Bible only in one text that I know of, and I can't remember, I think it's Psalm 73, you won't find this in your English Bible. Because it's it's in the it's in the native language, it's not in our language. And uh I'm trying to remember if it's I can't remember the text. I'd have to look it up again. But it calls God Yinan. Yinon was the name for the Messiah before he was born in Bethlehem according to some of the rabbis. And so I asked Dr. Uh, Davidson, Richard Davidson at Andrews University, who's a scholar on the Old Testament, I said what does yinan mean? And he said, you know what? Nobody's ever asked me that question before. He said, I really don't know. He said, but I'll try to find out for you. So, the next time I saw him, I said, did you ever find out what Yidan means? He said, yes. He said, I took a lo- it, it took me a lot of time to find it. But the nearest thing I can come up with, it means a shoot. You see? A shoot. He would, he, the Messiah would be the shoot that would restore life to the people cut off. And so this concept, it's a concept of resurrection. Nebuchadnezzar was about to die as a king for all practical purposes, but he would be resurrected again as a king once he learned who the boss really was, who was really controlling uh, the world and not him. So he had a lot to, to learn. And look at verse 16. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him. Now this is interesting because we find later on when Daniel is talking about the uh, Babylonian Empire, especially under um, Belshazzar, (coughs) it, it refers to the Babylonians as being a lion, but... The lion stood up, and a man's heart was put in it. The beast took out a man's heart. But notice here, it's the opposite. Let the, the beast's heart be given unto him. In other words, let him act like an animal. Not a man, but an animal. For seven times. Now this term seven times, a time, is a year. It's used in several different places, to represent a year. So, in this case, if you compare with other texts, it symbolizes a year. And, matter of fact, in some Bibles, it will even say in the margin seven years. And let me look at mine here, verse 16, and uh, see if it does. This particular one doesn't, but my other one does. It says so it could be seven years, it says on there. Look at verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. So the angels are also having a part to play in this as well as the uh, divinity. It says, To the intent that the living may know the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever, whomsoever he will and setteth up over it, the basest of men. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was struggling against God. And God is about to show him who the real boss is. I can't help but think of those who challenge God. A good illustration, I think, of that is when the Titanic came across and he, the captain was asked, well, why do you have so few lifeboats?" Lifeboats, And he says, well, this boat is unsinkable. Even God himself can't sink this ship. Well, he found out different. He found out that an iceberg was sufficient to take the ship down with the captain because he was defying God. And we find that many times in the scriptures, you find that King Sennacherib tried that. Who's the God that's going to deliver you from me? Well, he found out. And so we find here that God, God will give the kingdom to whomever he wishes, whatever is for his ultimate plan. And look at verse 18. This dream... I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. So he identifies himself as the one that's doing this, the writing of this. So you have a pagan king writing a chapter in the Bible. And he says here, Now thou, O Belshazzar, Belshazzar, excuse me, Thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. So Daniel does what the king requests. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour. Now astonished means astonished. Is so much so that he couldn't he couldn't speak, for several reasons. I think one was because he knew this was this was something unheard of what this vision was saying. Don't think the king didn't know that. That Daniel he just couldn't talk. Secondly, he liked Nebuchadnezzar. Even though Nebuchadnezzar went around breathing fire and making decrees and wanting to cook everybody, Nebuchadnezzar had his good side too. And Daniel was loyal to Nebuchadnezzar. As loyal as he could be, without violating his his uh, religious principles, and yet it says that he was astonished at this dream, and he couldn't believe it. That what what was about to take place. Secondly, I think he was at a, a loss for words. How do I? How can I tell the king this? This will break his heart, and it breaks my heart to have to tell him. Do you ever have to tell somebody something that you didn't want to tell them? You know, it really tears you up. As a pastor, sometimes I've had to tell people things they didn't want to hear. And there were times when I didn't want to tell them. Can't you pass this off to somebody else and let them tell them? But there are times when you are the one that have to tell them. And this was Daniel's situation. You see, only Daniel was in connection of the true God of heaven. And it says, he was astonished for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. He He was in confusion. And then the king spake. And notice that the king is comforting Daniel. Daniel was called in to comfort the king. Now the king is comforting Daniel. And the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee. In plain words, your majesty, I wish this this upon your enemies, not upon you. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar knew that something powerful was about to take place and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Verse 20. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heavens, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all under which the beasts of the fields dwelt, and unto upon those branches the fowls of the the heaven had their habitation it is thou o king that art grown and and become strong for the greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth ah uh, the king recognizes yeah, I I understand that because I was the head of gold before, remember. But he also can tell from what the way Daniel's going about this that something foreboding is happening. Verse twenty-three. And wherefore the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, "Hew the tree down and destroy it; yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth." even with the band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, seven times pass over him. Then in verse 24 he interprets. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is to come upon my lord the king. He's trying to be polite, as gentle as he can. And sometimes we have to speak truth as gently as possible, but we cannot deny the truth. We have to tell the truth as kindly as we can. Verse 25, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over thee. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomever he will. I can just imagine with the, the king sitting there. His eyes open and his chin drops. What are you saying? I'm going to go insane? Or... Somebody's going to come and take my kingdom and treat me like an animal? And what do you mean seven times? You mean seven years of this? Come on, what's going on here? And quite frankly, I think Daniel was perplexed. He didn't really know how it was going to happen. He just knew and believed that this is what God said and that it would happen. And here proud King Nebuchadnezzar was about to be humbled. Verse 26. And whereas thou commanded to leave the... Whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. In plain words, This was a conditional promise. This was a conditional prophecy in the sense that it wasn't going to be forever. It was going to be only for seven years. But it was unconditional in the fact that it's going to happen and there's nothing Nebuchadnezzar could do to change it except for one thing. That's what made it conditional. And that was to repent. You see, if it was unconditional if he did not repent. But if he repented, it would be a conditional prophecy. Repentance makes all the difference in the world. He, in plain words, Daniel's saying, you've been ruling like a tyrant, like a spoiled brat in many cases, going around stomping around and uh, threatening people that you're going to put them to death if they don't do what you want them to do. Look, you've got to have a heart. And if you change your ways, God will take that into account. Notice what he says in verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. God will... God will push this off if you repent, if you show mercy. Now, mercy for a Babylonian king was uh, a hard pill to swallow because if you didn't bow down to the image, into the furnace you go. If you couldn't interpret the dream, off with your head, and we make your, your uh, house a dunghill. You say, but to show mercy... Babylonian kings weren't known for that. And so we find here it would be a lengthening of his tranquility. Now it's interesting that in the book of, of um, Jonah, Jonah said, the Lord told Jonah to tell the people, the city is going to be destroyed. You've only got 40 days to repent. And then you're all going to be toast said a little bit different than I did. But anyway, that was the gist of it. And, you know, Jonah did not like the Ninevites. The Ninevites, they were the, Nineveh was the, the seat of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the Nazis of the ancient world. And they would torture people to death. And they were the ones who came into, and took the northern tribes of Israel into captivity and took them out of the holy land and Jonah couldn't wait to see them toasted and but he says if you don't repent you're going to be cooked and so when the day comes he goes sits on a hill and waits but what happened they repented And Jonah says, I know you'd do that. Jonah was an unprofitable prophet. You made a fool out of me. I told them they were all going to be cooked, and now you go and spare them. What's the matter with you, Lord? You see, Jonah, Jonah was afraid that people would think of him as a false prophet. It was his pride. As well as his prejudice. And yet, God spared these people. And God tells them, He says, they don't know the right hand from their left. And besides, there's a lot of cattle in there. Isn't that nice? God spared Nineveh because of the animals. And for the people who didn't know any different, it shows you the God of love. But does that mean that the Ninevites did not get destroyed? Because they repented. God spared them, and he pushed it off. And about 100 years later, they began to revert back to their old ways. And as a result, Nineveh was destroyed, you see. And so here, he says, maybe, you know, Babylon's going to be destroyed, because I told you that in Daniel 2. But now, maybe you can lengthen it out a little bit longer if you repent. And so we find here, Notice what it tells us in Micah 6, 8. He says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, which is, you can find further in Deuteronomy ten twelve. It says, and what does the Lord require of, of you? But notice what the three things are that God requires, excuse me, of a righteous person. What is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? This is what he's telling Nebuchadnezzar. And if you do these, God will be merciful to you. But Nebuchadnezzar, I guess, is a slow learner. And notice what it says in verse 28. And notice, he's telling us this. Daniel's not telling us this. It's the king himself who's writing this. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. God even gave him a probationary period. It says, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Now, isn't it interesting to notice that at the flood, God told all the people that the flood was coming. They saw the animals go in, they saw Noah and his family go in, and even the angels shut the door. That was quite a miracle. But you know what? The flood didn't come right away. They were in there for over a week, about a week, with those smelly animals. And I'm sure that in the inside they were thinking, "Oh, uh, Noah, did you get that straight? You know?" Excuse me. I'm about to sneeze. Oh, I'm trying to fight it. Ah, oh, pass. But They were in there for a period of time. And even after the crucifixion, God still gave the Jewish people three and a half years to accept the Messiah before it went to the Gentiles. And we find that even at the end of time, we find that there's a time of probation that is mentioned. So God... God doesn't want to destroy the wicked. He wants them to to repent and come to him. That's what it's all about. And he gave our friend Nebuchadnezzar a whole year. Well, I'm sure the first week he was doing great. He was being kind and merciful. This part I'm reading into it because it doesn't record that in history. I'm just going by human nature, you know. If you know something's going to happen to you, I think you'll probably repent for the first week or two. And then before you you see nothing happens to you, you begin to loosen up a little bit. And if you've ever worked with kids, you know, well, if you do that, I'm going to have to punish you. Well, if you tell the kids you're going to punish them, you better punish them. If you don't, they're going to build up a callus against you when you say something. And they'll try to step over the line as much as they could. They can. And so God said, all right, I'm going to give you a chance. And what happens? Nebuchadnezzar begins to, well, it didn't happen as Daniel had said. Therefore, eh, God doesn't care. He doesn't see. It doesn't matter. And he went back to his old ways. And here he is. He's looking out at this beautiful city. Nebuchadnezzar was known to be a builder. You see, this is the second Babylonian empire. The first Babylonian empire goes back to the time of Nimrod and Samarimus. But it wasn't until the time of Nebopelezer and Nebuchadnezzar that they began to build up what's called the Neo-Babylonian empire, which is the New Babylonian empire. And Nebuchadnezzar had built on what the others had accomplished. Matter of fact, they found bricks with his name stamped in it. They found stones, um, you know, uh, cuneiform tablets that talk about Nebuchadnezzar and his beautiful Babylon. He's the one that built the beautiful hanging gardens, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, you see, By the way, he built that for his wife. She she was from a mountainous country, and when she married Nebuchadnezzar, she says, Boy, this place is as flat as a pancake. I miss the mountains. I want to go home to mama. And he says, You want a mountain? I'll build you a mountain. And I'll I'll make it beautiful for you. And so he built the beautiful ziggurat when Decorated it all with all these different beautiful flowers just to keep her happy. And so we find Nebuchadnezzar did have some soft spots. And But as he's standing there, he's looking out and he says, Oh, this beautiful Babylon that I have built for my glory may it last forever. What's he doing? He's defying not only Daniel 2 and He's not only defying what God tried to get across to him with the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experience, but now he's also defying what God said in this chapter. And so, while he is saying it, as he's speaking it, as the very words are coming out of his mouth, notice what it says in verse 30. The king spake and said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. While he is speaking of this, he hears a voice and saying, Nebuchadnezzar, your time of probation is past. Time's up. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to go bananas. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. Notice what it says in 32. It says, and they will drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat. Grass as oxen seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever he will. Adolf Hitler tried to build a kingdom in defiance of the prophecy of Daniel 2. He went by the wayside. And so it is here with Nebuchadnezzar. He had a lesson to learn. Verse 33, the same hour, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like the bird's claws. Can't you imagine Nebuchadnezzar running around eating grass, his beard is growing real long, and as he's eating all the burdock or whatever they had over there, all the briars getting tangled up and matted in his hair, his hair growing long, his fingernails never being cut. I'm sure a few of them were broken off in the process, acting just like the animals, with the mind of an animal. Notice when an animal is eating, he's always looking down. Nebuchadnezzar was looking to the earth. It wasn't until he started to look up and look to the sky that things changed. But for seven years, he's wandering around. Now, what do you do with a king who's gone mad? I mean, you can't just stick him away somewhere. But what's going to happen if his enemies find out that he's gone bananas? Uh, What do you think they're going to do? They're going to attack, aren't they? Some of his nobles are going to have a coup against him. And so what did they do? I can imagine that they they had him very closely guarded. They had him in a restricted area. He was still out there grazing. You talk about being a vegetarian. Now that was a real vegetarian. He's the guy that had all the unclean meats on the table. Now he's out there eating the grass, you see, And here he is, they're they're trying to keep it down. Now, the question is, who's running the government? When President um, Woodrow Wilson, when he was President of the United States, Woodrow Wilson had a stroke, and he was confined to his bed, and he could hardly talk, And it was at that time we had our first female president. President Wilson's wife didn't even want the vice president to know how bad off her husband was. So Edith Galt Wilson, she made it so that the only one who could go in to see him was herself. And So we find that when the vice president or members of Congress came with something that needed his signature, she would take the bill and go in and she says, the president isn't feeling well, I'll see what his wish is. She would go in, read it to him, and he could, I don't know if he shook his head or what he did, how he communicated with her, but he would communicate to her and then she would sit down and she would sign his name on the bill and take it out and say, here, the president has passed it. She knew how to copy his handwriting. And for a long time, Edith Galt Wilson was actually running the United States government and nobody knew it. But then they began to catch on, you see. And here, the question is, the king's insane. Who's running the government? Well, if Daniel had just been elevated, it's very possible. Now, this text does not tell. Maybe his son was running it. But we know that his son was would have been very young, so he would have needed a regent over him. Was Daniel that regent? If so... Was Daniel himself or was his son running it? And was Daniel running it for his son? But somebody had had custodial power over the the empire. And this will come up later on in the story of Belshazzar because Belshazzar wanted to elevate Daniel to the third ruler in the nation. Big promotion. He was once second in charge And then when the king went mad, he may very possibly have been first in charge. And here's Belshazzar wants to promote him to third. You see? No wonder Daniel was very straight when talking to him. Now, notice what happens next. What was wrong with the king? Is this just a fairy tale? No. There is a mental illness. You'll find this information in books, textbooks on mental health. There is a disease or a a mental condition called lycanthropy. Now, that's different. I mean, when my daughter was little, I mean, she was always running around the house going, "Ah!" thinking she was a horse. You know? Kids like to play animals. But Nebuchadnezzar wasn't playing. He was an animal. You see? And Lycanthropy is a temporary mental illness that can last a few minutes or for many years. Some people can even last a lifetime. In which a person acts like an animal, such as a wolf, a horse, eating what the animals eat, etc. Now, he could either think that he was a wolf, he could think he was a horse, but in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, He was acting like a cow or a bull. He was acting like oxen. Now that is called bocanthropy, a temporary mental illness that can last for a few minutes or for a few years in which a person acts like a bovine or cattle. So there is precedence, and there have been, uh, it's rare, but there are records through the centuries of different individuals who came down with various forms of this. Who knows? This may even be where the werewolf tradition came from. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure the history of uh, werewolves, but there's basis to believe that this really did happen uh, to this king. And so we find in Daniel 4:34 it says. And at the end of the days, now God said, you're going to be this way for seven times. So as seven years pass by, seven years is a sign of completion or fulfillment or perfection. Nebuchadnezzar then starts to lift his eyes up. No longer is he looking at the ground like the animals do. All of a sudden he stops, and it's not till he looks up that his mind comes back to him. And you know, so often when we act like animals when we do things we shouldn't do and we get in trouble, only thinking about the things of this world, it's not till we look up that we have a greater understanding. Sometimes the Lord has to knock us down so that we look up. And this was the case with Nebuchadnezzar. It says, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation he finally acknowledged God is the boss, I am not. The God who could reveal the future, you start going against him, and he will let you go just so far, and then he will show you who's boss. And Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way. Now notice what happens, verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his his will in the army of heaven. He's in charge of the army of heaven, all the angels, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? How many times have people say, God, why did you permit that to happen? God, if you're really there, you would never have allowed this to happen. Who are you to tell God? You see. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, who are we to say to God, What doest thou? What are you doing, Lord? You're, you're not doing it the way you're supposed to. You didn't read the manual, you see. Verse 36 At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And I can imagine that he got up, and I don't know if there was a pond nearby, but he may have looked in and said, "Ooh, What's that? Oh, that's me. Can you imagine? He looks at his hair and at his beard and his, what clothes he may have had on, and his fingernails, I imagine that was one of the first things he noticed. And it said, My reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Why was excellent majesty added? Because now the Lord could bless him. And even his servants realized that they had to not only honor him, but they had to honor the God who had predicted this. Because they all heard the prediction. Daniel said it right in front of the wise men. They saw that it happened the wise men who were there. But I guess they had to keep it under wraps as much as they could. Look what it says in Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. In plain words, he can humble those who get too big for the britches. He can do that with us too. Now notice what happens. He now says something. There's no decree. This chapter ends without Nebuchadnezzar making a decree. Before he would say, you must not talk against the God of Daniel or Anybody who violates this, off with his head. But he doesn't make a decree. Something has happened to the king. Now, you've got to remember, this is unusual. Nebuchadnezzar simply is giving his testimony without issuing a decree forcing all subjects to worship. One of the signs of the beast is that the beast blends church and state and forces worship. Here he's not. He's simply giving his testimony and letting the people choose whether or not they will worship God. And you know what? That's the best testimony that could ever be given. All you can do is present your testimony of what God has done in your life. If you went to court, there's only two things the judge wants to know if you're a witness one is, what did you see? And the second is, what do you know? What did you experience? You can only tell what you actually saw or you experienced, but you can't say, well, my my wife's mother was told by her brother who had a cousin who said that he thought this is what happened. The judge would say, get out of here. You're not a witness. We can only tell what we have experienced. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. And when you do, nobody can refute your personal testimony because you've experienced it. And so we find here by him humbly telling his testimony there were those who were converted with him. Now the king at this time is about 60 years old. It Took him a long time to learn that lesson. He was raised to be a proud king. And it didn't take long for the Lord. It only took him seven years to humble him and soon he's about to die. This actually is his last recorded dream. This is his last will and testament that he's making in this testimony. It shows us that God can even save a pagan king. I will not be surprised if when we get to heaven, you might even see a pope or two there. You see... Even though we disagree with their theology and and their structure and and some of the, their teachings, don't forget that that may be modern Babylon, but here you got ancient Babylon. And because of a faithful witness on the part of Daniel, there's a Babylonian king in heaven. I wonder how many clergymen that maybe don't know or don't practice the truth as we understand it. From scripture will be in the kingdom. Because they lived up to the light that they had, and when they saw that they were wrong, they admitted it. Now, I'm not saying who's going to be in heaven. I don't know if there'll be any popes in heaven, and I won't guarantee there won't be any. That's God's job. The main thing is, am I going to be there, and are you going to be there? That's where the real... To the matter is. And so this is the testimony of chapter 4. The king is about to die. And even though he may have been converted, his kingdom is still pagan Babylon. And we see that the judgment that was pronounced upon Babylon is about to be fulfilled. And so, in summary of this chapter, Daniel's influence over the years was positive on the king. And Nebuchadnezzar's pride was great, but God had to do something extreme to humble this man if he was to save him. And quite frankly, frankly he did it in a miraculous way that it could not be reinterpreted by anybody. This is the king's second dream. He's again called he again called for the wise men, then for Daniel, in whom he recognizes the spirit of the holy God. Before he said holy gods, but at the end he finally realizes it's the most high God that he's dealing with. A tree represents a man. Cut down meant humiliation or removal of that tree, leaving only a stump to generate new life to be born again. And that's what is happening here. He's having that born-again experience. For seven years, Daniel likely held the government together. Now, I can't prove that statement. There's still more records that need to be found. But there's many theologians who believe that to be the case. And notice the king was warned one year before the event happened. God gave him a chance or a probationary period. He was humiliated, but he changed when he gained, regained his senses. God restored him to power, but this time as a humble servant of the Lord. And notice I got Lord in capital letters. It wasn't the Babylonian gods. It was the Lord of heaven, the Yahweh of heaven, Verse 37 says, it shows us that he was a converted man who publicly admitted his failure and punishment, praising God for his forgiveness and restoration. You know, the Egyptian kings, whenever they lost a battle or did something wrong, they wouldn't, the Assyrians wouldn't. They would not record what those failures were, or if they were very noticeable they would put a spin on it. And we find that in the case of Sennacherib. Even though he lost, he tried to make it sound good. And I'm not going to get into that now, but you can see it. And then finally, the king does not force people to believe him or to accept his God. He ruled righteously thereafter until his death. And God can even save the proudest heathen. If he will only submit to him. That is a summary of our chapter. I do have time for a quiz. Right in front of you is the the answer sheet, and I'll give you a chance to look them over. Question number one. Chapter four is the only chapter in Daniel written by a pagan king, true or false. Number two, who was probably governing Babylon in the king's absence. Number three, in prophecy, a time equals a what? Number four, the king was restored after eight years of insanity. True or false? Number five, at the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar noticeably does not do something. What is it? And then the last one, the bonus. Number six, Nebuchadnezzar likely had what disease? I'm not taking off the spelling. Okay. Actually, you had two choices. You can put either one you want. Okay. How many of you got 100? Got them all right. Well, we'll see if you're a true prophet or a false prophet. Here are the answers. Number one. This is the only chapter in Daniel that was written by a pagan king true. Number two. Who was probably governing Babylon at this time? Probably or very possibly Daniel. Number three. In prophecy, a, day, a time equals a what? A year. All right? The king was uh, restored after eight years of insanity. Seven years. So that's false. Number five, at the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar noticeably does not do something. What is it? He doesn't make any decree. You see, he just puts out the testimony. Number six, Nebuchadnezzar likely had what disease? Either lycanthropy or bocanthropy, whichever you prefer. Okay? Now how many got them all right? Hey, there you go. You're a true prophet. Let's have a word of prayer. I, um. Now, what we're going to do is something different. You see, I said we would do the first four successively. But now we're going to skip. We're going to go to chapter 7. And then we'll come back to verse 8. I mean, chapter 8. Why? Because... We're going to be following the uh, the uh, logical I mean the uh, chronological order. There are different orders of things in Daniel, and um, you can follow the structural order or the, the historical order or chronological order. So invite someone to join us next week. okay? Let's have prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies and blessings, and Lord, we thank you for the example that was set by Nebuchadnezzar, that he was willing to humble his heart and to set an example for us that whatever the pride is that's in our heart, that we will surrender it to you. And to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before thee. Bless us now, give us a safe journey home. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Shalom.